Hi, this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We are a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We are in the midst of a series on the parables of Jesus. We're looking at ten parables in the Gospel of Luke. And of course the parables are stories that Jesus tells. And so the name of this series is, Where Are You in This Story? Because in all of these stories that Jesus tells, you and I are in this story somewhere. Now, the parable that we're going to look at today in Luke 12 is traditionally called the parable of the rich fool. Well, you say, well, pastor, I'm not in that particular story because I'm not rich. Well, a couple of things about that. First of all, God has a richness, is a, that's a relative term, right? God has a world perspective. He's looking at the world. And if you talk to some of our folks that have gone on mission trips just from our church this past year to Romania, to, uh, to Cambodia, um, I've been on some mission trips that have, too that have kind of shown me that, uh, well, folks like me really are rich compared to the way that most of the world lives. Uh, almost all of us in this room with the way that we live our lives from day to day um, in this Disney world called the United States of America, uh, we really are kind of rich compared to, uh, to, to, to the overwhelming majority of the world. And second, even if we were truly, truly poor, we're not exempt from what is spoken about in this story. Because Jesus here... It's not just talking about economics. Jesus is talking about an attitude of the heart. He's talking about an an attitude, a spirit of grabbing. And even if you were truly poor, then still the spirit of grabbing could grab you, can grab any of us. Let's check it out. Luke chapter 12, and Jesus begins in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, we we pray that you would teach us to treasure you. Father, we pray that you would deliver us 
from the idols that can take over our hearts. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to really experience the, uh, the truth that we just sung about a few minutes ago, that, that, that you really are more than enough, that it's, it's, it's only you that can ultimately satisfy the, the deepest longings of, of our souls. It's, it's only a relationship with you that can, that can fill, fill the hole in our lives. Money can't do it. The things that money buys cannot do that. It will inevitably fall short. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would, would take your word right now. And, and, Lord, where attitudes of our hearts are not right, Father, we pray that you would deal with them. We pray that you would expose them. And, Father, we pray that you would set us free. We pray that you would set us free to, to, into a, a, an attitude um, that is, is life-giving. Uh, you said that you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. Father, would you show us how that really comes about? That it, it doesn't come about really through, through money or through things. Lord, it's about a relationship with you. We pray that you would be, Lord Jesus, our treasure. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Ken Hughes tells about a very significant meeting that took place at the Edgewater Hotel in Chicago in 1923. And at this particular gathering were nine of the world's most successful men. The president of the New York Stock Exchange the greatest bear on Wall Street, the president of the largest independent steel company, the president of the largest utilities company, the president of the largest gas company, the president of the world's uh, biggest monopoly at that point, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the International Bank of Settlements, and a member of the president's cabinet were all there at this meeting in 1923. 25 years later, in 1948, how different was the picture for these nine men? Howard Hobson was insane. Charles Schwab had died bankrupt. Samuel Insull had died penniless in a foreign land, a fugitive from justice. Arthur Critton, likewise, had died overseas with not a penny to his name. Richard Whitney had just been released from Sing Sing. Albert Fall had been pardoned from prison so that he could die at home. And three of them, Jesse Livermore, Ivar Kruger, and Leon Frazier, had all committed suicide. These nine men, masters of wealth, had all been mastered by wealth. And so it is with the individual in this story that Jesus tells. But at a deeper level, this is really not a parable about wealth. It's really, at root, it's a parable about an attitude, an attitude of the heart. It's about an attitude 
of the heart that can absolutely destroy any of us. How do we avoid it? And how do we replace it with a spirit that is life-giving and health-giving? Let's check it out. What is Jesus talking about here? Uh, let's look, first of all, at, at the situation. And, you know, all of the parables, as we've been looking at week by week, as we look at these parables, every one arises out of a situation. And we see the situation that causes Jesus to tell um, this particular parable in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so the situation that brings about this story is that someone in the crowd speaks up and, and, uh, and, and says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, lust for money can just be like a dagger slicing through relationships. And, and it can do that in all kinds of ways. And, 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 and oftentimes... Um, a, a lust for money and the things that money buys, it can just destroy families. It can destroy relationships in families between husbands and wives and parents and children. And, and in this case, it's brothers. And uh, their father has died, and, and, and now these guys are, are fighting over the estate. And a lot of times... Um, you know, we, we, we see that. And, and what, what should be, when, when, when a loved one passes away, I mean, what should be a time of, of, of drawing together and families supporting one another can become a time of families tearing one another apart because people begin to circle like sharks around the estate and, and they begin to bite and devour one another like sharks. And that's what's, that's what's happened here. Um, it's, it's a tragedy. I mean, here, here are these, these brothers, um, and they've lost a parent, um, and now they're about to lose their relationship as brothers. And you notice here that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say to Jesus, Jesus, my brother and I are at odds about this situation, and, 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 and we're in danger of our relationship being torn apart. Jesus, please bring us together. It's not it. No, he says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what is mine. He doesn't want Jesus really to arbitrate. He wants Jesus to advocate for him, take his side. Well, as we see in, in verse 14, you know, Jesus makes it perfectly clear. He has no intention of taking sides in this ugly family dispute. But he is so concerned about what he sees in this guy's attitude because Jesus can, can, can look at this guy and he can tell if he keeps heading in the direction that he's heading in with the attitude that he has he is headed for a terrible fall you know, this, this guy speaks out and he, and, he, and he essentially says Jesus Jesus I want more and what Jesus is going to tell him is, is, is if you persist in this kind of an attitude uh, you're going to get more than what you ever bargained for. You know, because uh, sin will take you further than what you ever want to go. It will keep you longer than what you want to stay, and it will eventually cost you more than what you want to pay. So Jesus 
rather than just kind of leaving it where it is, Jesus is so concerned about this guy. And he knows that many of the other people in the crowd are, are dealing with the same kind of attitude towards, towards possessions, towards money, and, 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 and the danger that that can just tear them apart, that Jesus, out of love, he, he, he tells this, 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 this parable. He, and he begins here in, in verse 15. What does Jesus say? He, he said to them, and notice them here is plural. He's, he's not just addressing this guy at this point who's asked the question. He's addressing the crowd because he knows lots of people deal with this, this very problem. And he said to them, verse 15, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. You know, this, this verse should come with a skull and crossbones beside it. Because what Jesus is saying to this guy is, he's saying, man, you are about to drink poison. Do you understand that? You're, Jesus is saying, you're, you're on a highway, and the only exit is marked hell. Take care. Be on your guard against this. Against what? Well, against all covetousness covetousness is the spirit of um, gimme 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 Uh, grab 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 grasping 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 after more it's the opposite of the spirit of christ paul says in philippians 2 5 through 9 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The way to be exalted, the way to greatness, is the way of Christ, which is not the way of grasping. It's the way of giving. Jesus, Jesus humbled Himself and gave Himself for us. The way to greatness is not by uh, being served. It's by learning how to serve others. It's not by self-exaltation, a self-indulgence, self-promotion. It's through humility. It's not through grasping. It's through giving. And, and, and Jesus loved us and gave Himself for us. He took our burdens on Himself and died in our place gave himself for us and then jesus at the end of verse 15 he he makes this incredibly profound statement that that you know all of us need to hear he says at the end of verse 15 for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I mean, look at our culture today. I mean, look at, the, look at the faces of so many people around you every day. I mean, burdened, torn apart with anxious care, often over things financial. Um, you know, rushing, rushing around. Dave Ramsey, uh, who wrote uh, Financial Peace University, uh, puts it this way. He says, you know, so many people in our culture rushing around to, um, to, uh, to 
to buy things that they don't really need with money that they don't really have to impress people that they don't really like. Is that what life's all about? Is that what life consists of? Jesus says no. Jesus' life in my kingdom is very different from that. Life in my kingdom is not about anxiety and greed. He said, Jesus says, my kingdom is not about keeping up with the Joneses. My kingdom is about learning to love the Joneses. It's about learning to love your neighbor. It's about learning to love God. Jesus says, my kingdom is about relationships that money can't buy. Jesus says, in my kingdom, you know, you don't get your, you don't get your security in life and your satisfaction in life, and your significance in life from what you do or from how much you have. Jesus says in my kingdom, you get your security and your satisfaction and your significance in life from whose you are. That you belong to me. That you can have a love relationship with the God of the universe. That's where true satisfaction and security and significance come from. You know, after the markets collapsed in September of 2008, just a few months after that, I was talking to a guy and he said to me, Pastor, said a few months ago, my net worth was this. And now it's this. And I said to him, friend, no. (laughs) Your net worth is not seen from a bunch of figures on a page. I said, if you want to know what your net worth is, you look at the cross of Calvary. And there you see what you're worth to God. That's where we should derive our net worth from. Well, clearly, the guy in this parable and and many people today don't get that. They don't get it. And so Jesus, in order to help us get it, he tells this story which is shocking and it's tragic this is a tragedy jesus tells us a situation then he gives us the story and it begins in verse 16 and he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully anything wrong with that anything wrong with prosperity anything wrong with wealth absolutely not absolutely not The Bible never condemns prosperity or wealth. It doesn't. If you look at every text where the Bible warns against money, against uh, when it talks about wealth or prosperity, in every single passage, what's being warned against or condemned is not wealth in and of itself, but an attitude that can often accompany. Well, let's check out a couple of passages here. They should be on screen. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. The Bible says here, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. How many times have you heard people say, Money is the root of all evil. Well, it's neither biblical nor true. Money is neutral. Money is neither good nor evil. 
What the Bible says here is that it's the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's this, it's this craving, the spirit of covetousness, of, of, of grabbing, of grasping, of not being satisfied in God. This is how we pierce ourselves. And ultimately, it's ourselves. <laughs> We, we, we pay the price when we, when we have this, when we have this love of money, when we have this craving for money, ultimately he's going to get pierced, is us. We don't have to have that. Because you know what? We can find our, our, our satisfaction in life from a Savior who was pierced for us in our place. But it's the love of money. That's a root of all kinds of, of evil. So, how do we deal with that? How do we cope with that? How do we free ourselves from that? How do we free ourselves from a craving after money, from a love of money? We free ourselves from it by learning how to give money. By learning how to give. Look again in the same chapter in First Timothy 6, at verses 17 through 19. The Bible says, as for the rich in this present age, which is most of us in this room compared to the rest of the world, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Well, the guy in this parable doesn't understand life. (laughs) He doesn't understand what is truly life. And he hasn't given a thought to eternity. He's planned ahead. He just hadn't planned far enough ahead. He's thinking about the next 30 years. Jesus said you need to think about the next 30 million years. Because what's, what's going to happen here? In verses, beginning, let's begin in verse, in verse 17. Jesus says, he thought to himself, he's got, he's got this good year. His land has, has produced plentifully. Who enabled it to produce plentifully, by the way? Who enabled his crops to go? Who sent rain from heaven so that that could happen? God did, obviously. Everything that we have is ultimately from his hand. Who, who gives us the ability to produce wealth? Deuteronomy 8.18 says it's God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. He gives us the, the, the brains to, to do it and, and, and the health and the energy and everything else. It's, it's all ultimately from from God's hand. Um, but what happens? What happens here? He's had this great year, and what does he think? Verse 17, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This guy has an eye problem. (laughs) Notice the the first persons here. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, 
I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones in there. I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, it's all about him. It's all about him. There is not a thought about God. There is not a thought about people in need, the physical needs of people, the spiritual needs of his neighbor. None of that. None of that. He's all, he, he's, he's, he's a navel gazer. He's focused, he's focused inward. It's all about him. It's as if God doesn't exist. It's as, as, as if people in, 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 in need uh, do, not, do not even exist. No thought of what he could, he could do with what God had blessed him with. And, and again, wealth is not the problem. It's not. The Bible is filled with examples of people who took their wealth and used it to advance the kingdom of God. There were people like that in the, in the ministry of, of, of Jesus, people of, of means who, who enabled uh, Jesus to do his ministry. Same thing in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, people like uh, Lydia, uh, the, the businesswoman from Thyatira, who you know, gave of her uh, home so that the apostles could have a, a base of operations in Philippi, and, and many other people like her that in, in, enabled uh, them to go and spread the gospel and, and enable the, the kingdom of God to advance people who throughout history and and biblical history and today who who took wealth and instead of allowing it to be a tool of the devil in their lives they took wealth and they used it as a tool against the devil and for the advance of god's kingdom this guy's problem is not wealth his problem is that the only only kingdom that he cares about advancing is his own He wants, to build his, he wants to build up his, his own kingdom. You know, it's, it's all about him. Now, we don't know, we're not told here what this guy claim, believes or claims to believe. You know, he's, Jesus is telling the story in, uh, in, in, a, in a Jewish context. There were, you know, basically no atheists in that context. So probably the guy in the story would have professed to believe in God. But he lives his life as if God does not exist. He's a practical atheist, just like millions of people in our culture. In poll after poll in our culture in America, people profess to believe in God. But in reality, when it comes down to the way they live their lives and the way that they handle money, they're practical atheists. They live their lives as if God does not exist. And Jesus says that's foolish. That's really foolish. You're not thinking, Jesus says, when you, when, you, when you do that. Because what happens? What happens to this guy? You know, after blowing off God and blowing off people, what happens? <laughs> I got it made. Yeah. I got it made. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's time to kick back, right? I'm just gonna, gonna kick up my heels. Somebody bring me a nice tropical drink, you know, and, and uh, he's, he's all re- relaxed. It's, it's interesting in Greek. Um, the word for diaphragm is related to the word for fool. And so, in, in Greek, it's like he, he, he puts his feet up and he, he, he just exhales with his diaphragm. <sighs> you know? Just breathes out. 
through, you know, his diaphragm just relaxes and Jesus says, <laughs> in reality, you know, he's a fool. Why? Because what happens? Kicks his feet back. Says, it's all about me. I got it made. I got everything planned. Everything. I got it all. got all the blocks checked off. Yeah. Got everything. Everything planned. The rest of my life. It's all done. And what? It keels over. He keels over dead. And Jesus says, what's going to happen? What's going to happen now to all your stuff? All the stuff that you laid up for yourself. Verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You've heard of the t-shirt that says, He who who dies with the most toys in the end wins. Well, a more truthful t-shirt would be, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And he doesn't take any of his toys with him. Not one. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. Been in lots of funeral processions. Not once have I seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It's not going to happen. Somebody once asked um, John D. Rockefeller's accountant after Rockefeller died, they said, how much did John D. leave? And Rockefeller's accountant said, um, he left all of it. All of it. Every penny. You can't take it with you. This is kind of the ultimate you can't take it with you parable, isn't it? You can't take it with you, but what can you do? Jesus says you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. You can invest in eternity. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, it's fine to to plan. You know, it's not a bad thing. Uh, Proverbs, many other parts of Scripture, uh, commend prudent financial planning. that's, That's not a bad thing. But the problem with this guy and the problem with most people today is that they plan ahead, they do, but they don't plan far enough ahead. Jesus says, don't just think about the next 30 years. Think about the next 30 million years. Because 1 Corinthians 3 makes it really clear that ultimately what gets rewarded is things that last. And what's going to last forever when you get right down to it? God's going to be forever, and people are going to be forever, right? And so it's what we do to build God into people, to connect God to people, to help people come to know God and know Him better. Ultimately, that's what's going to last forever. Nothing else. 
It's all going to be gone. Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll tells about um, one day in, is in South Florida, and uh, these, uh, these two guys were working on a, a skyscraper. And they were, it was sweltering hot. They took a water break. And, and so they went over to the edge of the building. They looked down, and uh, they, they, saw this, um, they, they saw this crane that was hovering over a cemetery. Thinking, what in the world is going on here? Well, the, the crane was, was lowering a, a Cadillac into the ground with the guy that was being buried <laughs> inside the Cadillac. He was being buried with his car. One of the guys wiped the sweat off his brow. He looked, he looked at the scene, wiped the sweat off. He said, man, so that's what I call living. <laughs> Can't take it with you. You can you can send it on a on ahead. You know, <laughs> Melissa and I, some years ago, we were looking to, to buy our, our first house. I think it was, and um, we, we saw a, we saw a, we'd seen the pictures of this house on, online and and a uh, you know, nice house and everything. And we thought, man, that's a really, that's a really good price, you know. And and so I said, well, let me actually go and look at the neighborhood. And so. I rode into the neighborhood, and it was pretty obvious the reason for the the price. We we could have had like our very own mountain in our backyard on the east coast. That would have been pretty cool, except for the mountain in our backyard would have been a landfill. (laughs) You know, I think about that. It might not have been a bad thing (laughs) to be able to be reminded every day (laughs) that that's really what's going to happen to all of our stuff, right? All of it. Jesus, it's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. What's going to remain? What's going to last forever? It's going to be souls. Souls of people, right? And God. And so Jesus says, give of yourself. Give of your resources. Say, take my life and take everything that is that you have given me everything and let it be consecrated to you, Lord. It's yours because it's only what's done for Christ ultimately that's going to last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would would help us to have kingdom priorities. Father, we pray that you help us to think clearly. Help us not to be blind help us not to be foolish help us to understand what really matters in life what life really consists of father help us to to spend our lives um, investing in the advance of your kingdom father help us not to to fall victim of covetousness. But Father, help us to to take what you bless us with and, and use it generously to bless other people and to advance your kingdom. We know that ultimately that's that's all that's going to matter. That's what's going to be rewarded. Lord help us to lay up treasures in heaven. <coughs> You know what, as we continue to pray, 
we, we begin to understand that when Jesus Christ becomes our treasure. We don't get it until then. What's your treasure today? Who's your treasure today? What's your ultimate priority in life? Who's number one in your life? It's Jesus Christ, your treasure. Jesus loved you. He gave himself for you. He continues to give to bless us. Would you give him your life today? Say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I can't do it on my own. I make a mess of things on my own. But I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And right now, I turn to you. I trust you. I welcome you into my life. Take my life and let it be yours today. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. And if your desire is for Christ to be your your Savior, your King, your treasure, that's the cry of your heart. You've never made that public. We want to invite you to, to come, be here at the front. If you're here today and you say, I want this church family to be my home, my base of operations for, for ministry, where I can uh, grow and love and, and, and serve, I want to invite you to come today. If you've just got a need in your life, just want to come and pray, a burden that you just want to come unload and you want to pray with someone or come pray at this altar, you come and do it. So, Father, we give you now this time of decision. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this service at First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.